1: Welcome everybody to this week's podcast episode for the Financial Freedom for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Liu. And as you know, I talk about four types of freedom, time, financial, location, health freedom. I'm always looking for people doing things outside the box and doing things on the cutting edge to give you inspiration, motivation to achieve those types of freedom. So today we have Andrea Wilson-Woods and she is um, comes from a very distinguished background. She's an author, speaker, entrepreneur. She's also a uh, patient advocate. So she's going to talk all about, um, you know, her story, what she learned, and hopefully we can get a lot of inspiration from this conversation. So I'll let Andrea introduce herself. But so Andrea, welcome.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Liu. I'm happy to be here.
1: Yeah, I know we had uh, met through Podmatch, and you know I found your bio very interesting. And I'm always trying to pick gems and try to give them a platform to share their stories, their messages. And so, tell us more about yourself and how you got started.
0: Yes, of course. It goes back a long way, and it's amazing how one thing can just change the whole course of your life. So when I was 22 years old, I was living in Los Angeles. I had graduated from USC fight on for my Trojans and I ended up getting custody of my then eight-year-old sister, Adrian. So we have the same mother, but different fathers. Her father had died before she was born and our mother was a drug addict and had gotten to the point where um, it was unmanageable and she couldn't parent anymore. So, I became my sister's parent, I became her legal guardian, and I raised her all through my 20s. One month after her 15th birthday, she was very unexpectedly diagnosed with stage four liver cancer, and it was really the day before she's fine, the next day, this is the news that we get from an ER doctor. And that was 20 years ago, um, actually 21 years ago, and her cancer journey lasted 147 days. It was really short. It was really brutal. There was really nothing that could be done. And raising her, you know, getting custody of her changed the whole course of my life. But then losing her to cancer changed my life again. And for your listeners, for context, the year after my sister died, I turned 30 years old. And I just did not know what to do with myself anymore. I was suicidal. I was looking for a way to channel my grief. I didn't want people to go through what my sister and I had gone through, where there just wasn't very much support or very much even known about the type of cancer she had, even though it's quite common. And so I started a national nonprofit called Blue Fairy, the Adrian Wilson Liver Cancer Association. And Blue Fairy's mission is to prevent, treat, and cure primary liver cancer, specifically hepatocellular carcinoma through research, education, advocacy. And um, and then fast forward many years I am also the co-founder and CEO of Cancer University. That's an online platform for all kinds of cancer for patients and caregivers to really um, educate, empower, and engage them to become advocates in their healthcare. It's it's so, so essential that you as the patient drive the train. no offense, not the doctor, (laughs) you know, um, the doctors on your team or doctors are on your team, but you're the one in charge of your body and your health. And you really have to learn those skills. Um, and I find most people are not natural advocates, but they can be, if they get the right, um, teaching.
1: Interesting. That, well, it's a very powerful journey and a powerful story. And, um, you you know, you've brought up a lot of interesting ideas, but one thing that you mentioned was um, patient advocacy. Uh, I'm a physician, the healthcare system is a a mess. Um, And what I'm interested in is what sort of skills can you learn as to be a patient advocate?
0: Yeah, so being a patient advocate means, you know, in terms of the way I look at it, is understanding that you as an individual have to take charge of your health. No one's going to do it for you. And that includes really practical, tactical things like how to stay organized um, to more, you know, to vaguer things like what are your values? You know, I don't know. I've never had a doctor ask me what my core values are, but your core values and what's important to you, which does change as you get older, can really determine what types of treatment you're willing to try or endure. And, you know, a 23-year-old is going to be looking at the life she has ahead of her very differently than maybe an 83-year-old. And so it's it's a combination of things. But the most important part is the understanding that you have to take charge, that no one's going to do it for you.
1: Mm. That's quite interesting. Yeah, I know a lot of patients. They feel lost, and um, you know, really, the whole healthcare system is really convoluted. And you know, yes, hard. very much so. Yeah, and so kudos to you to starting this and really um, addressing a really important need uh, for patients in today's healthcare system. So um, I know you had talked about what one, one is. Um, I know you've published a book, um, your medical memoir, Better Off Bald, and um, which uh, I encourage the audience to go and check it out on Amazon. And uh, one thing is, uh, talk about this idea of love beyond loss, because you described this thing where you channel your grief and, you know, sort of create uh, beauty out of ashes. So tell us more about that.
0: Well, I forget who said it, someone else said it, not me, but it's, uh, it's something like death ends a life, not a relationship. And that was really helpful for me because I lost not only my sister, I lost my child and and I lost the most important person in my life. You know, I loved my sister and still do unconditionally. And the bond we had was incredibly intense. And it's become so important to me to honor her um, by not only founding a nonprofit and co-founding a health tech startup, but also sharing her story. And um, and it's a great way for people to get to know her as well. So as you said, I wrote a medical memoir. It is about the seven years of my life in my 20s when I raised my sister. But the book is structured around her cancer journey. So it's written like a journal For example, day one is chapter one. And my sister was also, even at a young age, a very prolific writer. And she had a journal that she kept that she started before she ever got sick, but continued to write in it after she became ill. So by day three, the chapters open with her words and her point of view. And so you get to see her point of view as a very young patient, a teenager battling a metastatic cancer and you also see my point of view as the caregiver and the parent which really diverged at times you know incred- incredibly so um i think i answered your question i'm not 100% sure but i think i did you know <laughs> but it's in, it's important for us to share our stories uh, at the end we all become a story
1: yeah yeah you know at the end of the day we're all headed to the same destination and uh, really it's interesting that you talk about changing the world by channeling your grief and uh, living courageously through adversity. Um, One question is, uh, what should one do when they're overwhelmed by grief? Um, Do you have any suggestions um, for those people, either initially or just during or after?
0: Well, I think this is common advice, but don't make any drastic decisions. That's not always the best time to make drastic decisions and it's really difficult to do, but you need to sort of live in the overwhelm and don't stuff it down and don't push it away. That whole first year after my sister died, I really tried hard overly. So to please people and to assure them I was going to be okay. And I was faking it the entire year. I was just faking it. And It got to this point where I sort of had a breakdown where I just couldn't fake it anymore and I couldn't pretend to be okay, especially as I watched my friends move on with their lives. You know, I I sort of lost track of how many people got married and had babies in that first year or two after my sister died, but it was a lot of people. And that was really difficult for me because that part of my life, parenthood, was over. And I like to say I live my life in reverse. I was a parent in my 20s. I got married in my 30s. And I'm an entrepreneur and an author in my 40s. So I was on a different track than my friends were. And that was really difficult. And I ultimately ended up losing every friend I had, every single one. And that's what my next book is about, the time in my 30s when I was grieving, when I started my nonprofit. And also just losing all of these friendships.
1: Mm. And was the, uh, when you mentioned losing friendships, was it um, just because losing touch or just because their values did not resonate with yours?
0: There was only one friendship that I purposely ended. Only one. Um, and, and it just got to the point where I I didn't feel like it was good for me anymore. And I was very up front and I had a conversation with my friend and I still, to this day, very much love her, but it just, the, the friendship had, was not good anymore. As for our, my other friends, in most instances, I don't know what happened. And that was the worst part because they just stopped talking to me. They just disappeared. Um, yeah. I, you know, it's, as I'm going through my notes and emails and as part of my process for writing my next book it really is upsetting, because I don't know what happened, except that losing my sister forever changed me. I think my core personality is still the same, but it forever changed me. It changed how I looked at things. Um, and I don't think that was easy for people. So after that first year when I was done faking it, and I came out of it, and I was like i'm i'm not I'm not okay, you know, I'm not okay.' And I think for some of my friends, that was too much for them, Mm. that they liked it better when I was okay, because I was the friend who organized everything. I was the friend who brought all these people who would never be friends if it weren't for me, right? I brought all these people together. I was sort of the leader of my group, and I couldn't do that anymore for people. I couldn't. Mm. And there's a lot written out there about losing a spouse or having a breakup or if your child dies but there's not a whole lot out there about losing friends and it it was devastating not as devastating as losing my sister but it was devastating
1: Mm. it's uh you know that's very well said and um you know I think you grew and you learned from this experience and now you talk about um so one thing you know we're Coming closer to the end of the conversation is, uh, you know, your nonprofit um, named in memory of your sister. Um, What services does uh, Blue Fairy provide for liver cancer patients and caregivers?
0: So I think I said Blue Fairy's mission is prevent, treat, and cure primary liver cancer through research, education, advocacy. So we have an annual research award that we give out to healthcare providers or scientists, researchers um, who are very narrowly focused on what's the acronym is called HCC, hepatocellular carcinoma. Uh, For patients and families, we have um, patient resource guides that are free. We ship anywhere worldwide as long as we have a valid address. Those are updated um, every, every other year or so. They are in multiple languages and available as a PDF download on our website. We also have a private community for patients and caregivers that um, is truly private, HIPAA-compliant, not on Facebook. <laughs> and and they really interact with each other and get support there. Um, and then another, you know, a lot of other programs and activities. Uh, we have a Love Your Liver, um, which is uh, our it's, well, it's not just annual, it's many times a year program where we focus on actual, the prevention piece of our mission. Um, and we want to raise awareness on not only liver cancer, but liver disease, because in most cases, liver cancer, um, is pre- preceded by some type of liver disease.
1: Mm, yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's so like, I love your mission and, um, you know, Finally concluding, what do you hope to achieve with your new endeavor Cancer University? What product services do you provide that will help the cancer community?
0: Our goal is to help people at that moment of diagnosis because that's when we can make the biggest difference um, and to change every person's cancer journey. We're not saying we can cure it, but we feel like we can change it. And if you are active, engaged and educated as a patient and a family member, from the beginning, you are likely to make different decisions than you would otherwise. Um, it's really interesting, and I'm sure you you know this, but um, there are many studies that show that doctors often give advice to patients that they wouldn't take themselves, especially if you're treating an end-stage cancer. Um, and there's nothing wrong with trying every single treatment and going all the way to the end, And in fact, I'm a huge, huge um, proponent and advocate of clinical trials, but there are some situations where that might not be in the best interest of the patient based on what's important to them. So my step-grandfather, for example, he uh, had head, neck cancer, misdiagnosed. By the time it was properly diagnosed, he had a tumor the size of a lemon removed from his neck. They also had to take his ear and that was the um, good ear. So when he woke up, he was essentially deaf and he was 82 and he decided not to do chemotherapy or radiation. And, and that was not an easy decision because he had two women, my step-grandmother and stepmother who were not happy about it, but he just felt like that wasn't what was best for him. And he had lived 82 years and he was happy about that. Um, And it turned out to be the right decision if there is a right or wrong because the cancer came right back um the chemo and radiation wouldn't have done anything for him but what do allowing him to have and make that decision on his own and come to peace with it he entered hospice he got to say goodbye to his child he got to say goodbye to his grandchildren he got to say goodbye to his great-grandchildren you know there was a lot of time that was allowed it was only a couple of months but You know, he he got to say his goodbyes and, and, you know, whatever else he needed to do. And he died peacefully in his bed at home, you know, know, with my step-grandmother and stepmother, you know, with his wife and his daughter right there by his side. I can't think of a better way to die if you have a really serious disease you know, I don't think anyone wants to die in the hospital. I've certainly never met anyone who wants to die in the hospital. And um, so I feel like it's really important to help people at that moment of diagnosis.
1: Mm. It's been a really, uh, very um, uh, profound conversation and, uh, you know, really touch upon, you know, what is the meaning of life and you know, how can we best make use of our time here? And, you know, how can we best use adversity to make an impact for society and for others and our families? So um, I know this message will resonate and touch a lot of people in the audience. Um, How can they, I know you have your book on Amazon, you have, um, uh, tell us your website and how to follow you and contact you.
0: Sure. So it's really easy. My personal website is andrea com. You can go to my book's website, which is betteroffbald.com and see all the sellers. If you don't like to shop at Amazon mm-hmm. uh, for my nonprofit, it's blue fairy, B-L-U-E-F-A-E-R-Y.org. And then for Cancer University, it's cancer.university.
1: Excellent. And for all the listeners and audience out there, Um, Andrea's resources will be in the links and show notes, and thanks so much for a fantastic conversation, really the bird's eye, the eagle view of why we're all here, and uh, thanks so much, and we look forward to uh, hearing about your future success.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Liu, for having me on.